Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rado, joined as always by the great Teddy Atlas. Welcome to part three of our mythical matchups. In part one and two, we uh, Teddy covered um, how some of the all-time great heavyweights would have done against Mike Tyson in his prime. We talked about Joe Foley, Joe Frazier, and Sonny Liston. Today, we're going to go through four other mythical matchups, starting with Roberto Duran. First, we're going to discuss Roberto Duran versus Floyd Mayweather, and then a lightweight Roberto Duran against an undefeated Aaron Pryor, followed by middleweight champ Marvin Hagler versus an undefeated Roy Jones at middleweight, and then the Manasseh Mahler, Jack Dempsey versus Joe Frazier. So, Teddy, let's kick it off with Roberto Duran versus Floyd. Pretty good stable right there. Yeah, that's it. Pretty good ones. Yeah, yeah. And I just to come and keep his company, I brought this guy. The Brown Bomber. And uh, the greatest heavyweight of all time, in my estimation. I know Ali is a guy that's on a lot of people's top list. You know, for me, I start with this man because uh, of everything that he constituted uh, in the ring, outside the ring. Just like Ali, when you favor him, it's, it's also a cause of an effect of what he meant socially. Uh, the difference he made, and of course, in the ring, and the pioneer he was in many ways. Uh, but so was John Lewis in a lot of ways that we had less understanding, uh, less ways to understand those things today. Mm -hmm. uh, because there's, of course, less, there was less media uh, back then. So you didn't get to be familiar with the things that I'm talking about that I estimate as making John Lewis great as you are with Ali, mm -hmm. you know, you're more aware of it. So I I know I'm going off course for two seconds, but Jack Johnson is another guy that a lot of people don't know about. First black heavyweight champ. He could be one of the up there at the top. A lot of people would say, Teddy, how would you do that? You know, it's either Ali or Lewis for the most part. No, Jack Johnson could be in that argument too. But, um, Anyway, I just want to bring the great one with me. Everyone loves those t-shirts. You get a lot of good feedback about them. So let's kick it off with uh, Roberto Duran, Floyd Mayweather. Wow. Great. The Floyd Mayweather undefeated fighter, unless he comes back in the next 10 years or so. You know, <laughs> I mean, he can come back while we're talking. Yeah. You never know. I mean, if somebody puts enough zeros on the offer, why not? Yeah. Why not? He's a smart man. Uh, Mayweather is as smart a manager as he is a fighter. But uh, we're talking about what he is as a fighter right now. Great defensive fighter. You know, like Ozzie Smith, uh, for the baseball fanatics out there, the baseball fans out there, remember the Wizard of Oz. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah. Doing backflips. Ozzie Smith, yeah. St. Louis Cardinals. Incredible athlete. Yeah. Shortstop. Great defensive player. But uh, not a great hit. Couldn't punch his way out of a paper bag, you know, as far as the way we related to boxing, as far as being a hit. But great defensive player. Uh, I'm not attaching that can't punch his way out of a paper bag to Floyd at all. Mm -hmm. But Floyd, great defensive player during his time. You can only be great during your time, right? Mm -hmm. You you can't control that. You can only do it while you're with who's there doing your angle. And Floyd was terrific. But Floyd had a very tough fight. I have to use everything possible to make my as fair an assessment 
as honest an assessment as I can with my judgments in this game and with everything that's available to me. So I use everything. I pull everything from wherever I can to try to come to what I think is a fair decision on who would be the better man that day or night in the ring. And Floyd had a tough fight with Castillo. Tough fight. Two of them. But, but the first one, I mean, was it two or just one? But I know you could figure that out. My man Robert get that. That's why I'm always protected. I always have that net under me where I won't be left out there with uh, too much egg on my face. And, but he fought Castillo Floyd. And Castillo, a lot of people didn't want to fight. It was a very close decision. I um, fought him two in a row. We fought oh, him, right um, April of 2002 and then December 2002. Yeah. Both times unanimous decision. And the first one. WBC lightweight title. Yeah, the first one, there was a, some controversy attached to it. Tough fight. Tough fight. Hey, look, everybody's in a tough fight. I, I can pick that out of Durant, too. But I'm saying if he had a tough fight like that with Castillo, okay. Durant's not Castillo. Not knocking Castillo at all. At all. Good, solid guy. But not Durant. So, we start off with the defensive prowess of, of Mayweather. That tremendous, you know, radar. Uh, Will of the West, like they call it, the great Willie Pep. Uh, he's... He's the wind in the ring. He's he's a ghost in the ring. You know, he's hard to find. Right? Hard to put your hands on. Durant was a damn good defensive fighter. See, this is where you got to... A lot of people, we, we got educated fans out there, so they understand this, but some won't. That Durant was a terrific offensive fighter, but he was a great defensive fighter too, in, in his own right. You know, it's just that he did it in an offensive way. So he didn't get as much credit for it the way that it wasn't quite as obvious as it was when Mayweather did. When Mayweather did it, he did it solo sometimes. Sometimes with counters attached to it, but not walking forward. So it was much easier to recognize, much easier to see the specifics of it. And so you saw what a great defensive fighter Floyd was. Durant would be aggressive, but he'd be making you miss why he was aggressive. He'd faint you. He would, he, he was very good at riding with punches. You'd throw a right hand at him and he'd ride with it, make it miss, uh, slipping, getting away from punches. I mean, he couldn't have been the great Durant if he wasn't good defensively. He wasn't just a walking guy. He wasn't just a sick and destroyed guy like I used to say all the time on ESPN, uh, when describing those type guys and making the differentiation with one and another. So, he was, so defensively, he checked that box too. But he was a better, he being the man, he was a better offensive fighter. He was a better offensive fighter than Mayweather. Uh, and he's a good body punch. Mayweather would have been doing his defensive things, and Mayweather had the choice of moving his head, doing his shoulder roll to set up a, a mess along with the counter, where he would drop his left and he would he bait you in to throw a right hand at him and then he'd roll with it and then counter with that. 
to be able to see that, you would understand that. The man wouldn't chase a ghost. You know, he would find an exorcist. You know who the exorcist was? Not you. You know who the exorcist was? Good body work. That'd take that'd bring the ghost out every day. Mm-hmm. Bring the ghost out every day, baby. Because you start banging that body, the ghost disappears. Because it's harder to move your head then. You get a little bit of paralysis. It's a little harder. Those ligaments say, ah, I, I don't know if I want to move right now. Uh-huh. And the legs slow down a little bit. So Duran, good defensive fighter, great offensive fighter. Um, uh, tremendous body puncher. Ask my buddies over across the pond. It's been too long since I haven't talked to them. <laughs> it has. So ask my buddies across the pond about Ken Buchanan, tremendous lightweight champion that Duran took the title from in Madison Square Garden so many years ago. I mean, tremendous box, tremendous box. I know what you're going to say, and I love you guys. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say that Duran hit him a little south of the border. Maybe, maybe. But, and, and I'd love to get that up there because my man Rob can get up something with Ken Buchanan. He can get something up. I know he can. I know he can. But Ken Buchanan was in pain in that fight. You know, some of it might have been from the low regions of body punches. Lower than they're supposed to be, but it was body work and it was relentlessness. And he wouldn't have beat such a good boxer. We're talking about Mayweather. He was a great boxer. He is a great boxer. Well, Buchanan was a tremendous boxer. And Durant, what he had to do. Buchanan was 43 and one at the time they fought in uh, June of 1972 at Madison Square Garden. And by the way, Roberto Durant's record. Floyd was 50 and all, Roberto Duran was 103 and 16. Pretty good. I had 119 pro fights. Yeah, pretty darn good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and listen, Floyd fought the best of his time. No doubt about it. Uh, I like Floyd a lot. Well, I love Floyd. But so did uh, Durant fought the best, you know. So I mean, he fought Bruzu. He fought the best that there was out there. Uh, I mean, he fought Sugar Ray Leonard, who I think fits in there with any era, as far as when you're talking about greats. Mm-hmm. And I don't think everyone fits in with any era, but he sure does, but now Whitaker sure does. So we're talking about a tremendous defensive fighter in Mr. Mayweather, fighting a guy who's really, really good. He might even be great defensively too, in his own right, Durant, but a great offensive fighter. Not that Mayweather wasn't clean offensively, you know, where he picked your part like a surgeon. He, he will. But Durant, busier. Um, I think he gets an extra check in that offensive box. little extra check in that offensive box. Um, I understand, the, again, the abilities of when you're a great counterpuncher and a great defensive fighter, how it feeds into your offense where it's a clean offense where you catch the guys clean and stuff. But his way of fighting, Durant could have gotten a lead with that. And with Mayweather's way of fighting, it's harder to come back from behind. It's easier to fight from ahead, if that makes sense. Yep. To come from behind, it's a little harder because you're depending on kind of you're depending on mistakes mm-hmm. on the other guy. You're depending on counter opportunities. 
uh, the Ram, especially once he got ahead, uh, would not have been in a place where he would give him that many counter opportunities. He would not step into too many potholes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say an interesting fight. That's why I picked it. Really, something that's going to, I believe, is going to create conversation with you guys, the most important people. We are you, we're not here. And that's why I picked it, to get some creation of conversation with you guys. And um, so I'm going to pick Duran. At the end of the day, body work, relentlessness, aggression. Smart, too. You have to be smart if you can be somebody as smart, as high IQ as the genius Mayweather. You have to be. And I'm going to say that with all those things, he's, Duran would have lowered his jab a little bit. He did it with Buchanan. He would have jabbed to the chest and sent it to the head to Floyd, just to stabilize Floyd, just to bind him, just to exercise that ghost a little bit. So at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Duran pushing the fight, Duran in control being a boss a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying that Floyd's going to be relegated to just surviving, but a little bit more surviving than thriving. And at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Duran, unanimous decision. This is hand out. Interesting. I know it's there's some debate for sure. And here's Rob with the... Um, well, Rob's in there. Can it be canon? I know what I'm asking for when I ask people to do something. I know the level, the quality of the person I'm, I'm calling up. Look at this. Lightweights. There's Buchanan using his legs, boxing, tremendous boxer. This is terrific to be able to watch this footage. I love I mean, the really, drugs. Oh, yeah, well, it's Scottish. Yeah. You know? You can move, too. Yeah. But, but look at Durant moving his head, making a miss, creating his own counts. Yeah. You know, with the right hand. How do you take away a guy's jab? Buchanan made a living with his jab. Durant took it away. How do you do it with kind of right hands? So he doesn't want to throw it anymore. Goes to the body, the back to the head. Relentless, but smart. Moving his head, going to the body inside. And again, Buchanan, tremendous boxing. You just said his record. I mean, tremendous. Using his legs, but those legs are being deteriorated a little bit with the pressure, with the body work. Yeah, you can see Roberto Durant really bringing the fight to him, and, and Buchanan's trying and to... And remember, this is Durant's first title, Ken. You know, he got, he got better. Yeah. You know, he, he, he progressed as a fighter, you know, once he had that title. But this is his first title fight, so, I mean, but he looks pretty damn good. You can see that relentless style, just throwing punches and bunches, combinations from everywhere. Just... Can we get the end of it? Can we get the final end if it's, if it's possible? Because there was a little agony on her face of Buchanan at the very end. Um, I think he stopped him around the 8th. I don't know how good my memory is. Oh, this guy's a landing big shots. Yeah, well, that, was, that was a big shot. Oof. That had... Yeah, kind of hit him That had changed the baritone into a... <laughs> I mean, positively. Oh, yeah. I mean, right? Yeah, it definitely looks like he's in pain now. Oh, a little bit. And then I know all my my brothers over there, my brothers and sisters over across the pond, thinking that I'm 
trying to put you guys in any pain or not. Not at all. Just saying that this is a great new product of man and Duke Hannon was great too. Taking a get his prep back. But and Duran again he like all fighters, like all people, in, in any craft, in any vocation, they they have their moment when they reach that that place, that pinnacle uh, that they've been striving for to show that they're at the top, that they can be at the top, and then they continue to progress. That was just, again, that was his first title fight. You know, he went on to have an unbelievable career. He got better and better, and that's who we would put in the ring. Mm -hmm. We would put that Duran in the ring with that Mayweather. How much do you think that Nomas fight uh, tainted his uh, reputation as people look back on him now as his whole body of work? Because I think that that is like a huge stain on the um, on a great career. What are your thoughts on that? That's a fair question. Um, Duran's never going to you know, sit down and have a cafe with you. Uh, I have to ask you that question, you know. I, I know you're grown in the boxing world by the moment, and, and the people see you, they, they come over, they, they talk to you, they take pictures with you, and they talk about the show, and Duran might be a little upset about that one when you see Roberto asking that question, but and I'm kidding because Roberto's an honest guy. He's a fighter. Fighters are pretty honest. Um, it definitely, it definitely is a, a shadow on a great career. There's no doubt about it. Um, but it doesn't take away his greatness. I know that sounds like I just, you know, that I just kind of uh, finagled some words together there and said, well, yeah, it's a shadow, but it doesn't take away. But for me, it doesn't. I'll say it again. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a blemish, it's a blot, uh, as you just said, and that's, that's true. But he was a great fighter. That was a bad moment. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But what did he do after that? He came back and won the world titles. Mm -hmm. huh. I mean, if he didn't do that, then maybe more uh, of a block. But he of a of a block on that great career. But he went and he got that special cloth and removed that block mm -hmm. to to the extent that you can remove one. You know, there's it. always something left. You might even say it motivated him to come back stronger and say, like, man, that was a huge regret. I don't want to ever have that happen again. And that's part of it. I mean, it's it's always, it always goes to your soul, you know? Your, your soul is, uh, is something that's uh, it's never supposed to be for sale. And, um, you know, your soul is there long after the muscles start to deteriorate, the timing starts to leave, the reflexes start to go kaput. Uh, but the soul, the soul of a man, the soul of a person, uh, it still comes and attacks you. It still is there to be heard after those other things are gone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's there to the very end. And so he did everything he could to heal that. He did everything he could. Uh, once, you know, the horse is out of the barn, uh, you don't quite get it back, but he did everything he could uh, to heal that and to have 
have peace with himself. Mm-hmm. You know, to have peace with his uh, for his soul to not wake him up at hours during the night. And I think he did that. I think he did that. You know, he, he beats he beats a young Davy Moore, a young, strong Davy Moore. You know, God bless Davy, he's not with us anymore. Um, he he beats a tough, strong Iran Barkley. Mm-hmm. A, a huge middleweight. Strong, strong. And Barkley, I thought that was the best Barkley. A lot of people are probably going to say, Teddy, how are you going to say that was the best Barkley ever when it was in a loss? It was a loss to Roberto Durant. Great fighter. Special fighter. One of the greatest of all time. Match up with any era. And I thought Barkley was tremendous that night. Better than he ever been. More, more than just what he usually was, which was just a big, strong, tough, middleweight. He was more than that that night. But he was in there with Durant. Duran removed some of that block you're talking about. You know, Duran had that stuff that you buy when you see the commercials that they removed that stain from the boxy community. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, all right. Let's talk about Aaron Pryor and uh, Roberto Duran. Wow. Get, get ice. <laughs> no, no, get ice. But not from. Not for the part of the body you think, but for the fingers. If you're going to be doing any punch counting, copy box guys out there that do the punch counting, you'd have to ice your fingers because you're going to be you're going to be overworked. You're going to be overtaxed. You're you're going to you're going to be hurt because there's action. There's there's going to be action. That is that is. A, Incredible one. That's where two guys with great great skills and great will. I say it again, great skills and great will go up the hill together. And only one guy comes down. And Aaron Pryor, for those who don't know, was 39 and one with uh, 35 knockouts. Aaron Pryor at his best. We're talking about both guys at their best. At their best, yeah. yeah. At their best that so Duran at a, one of the small weights, mm-hmm. you know, with Pryor. Both of them beat tremendous fighters to win titles. Pryor beat the great Cervantes, Kid Pablo, Antonio Cervantes. Tremendous, tremendous fighter. And Pryor beat him. Pryor had a great combination of offensive ability and strong constitution, tremendous will, and instincts. He would he come out in waves, kind of like Pacquiao, but not as sophisticated, not as tight. Mm-hmm. But a lot like Pacquiao instinctually, come out in waves, come off the sides, throw punches from awkward angles, from different angles. There was a cleverness to him. It wasn't, again, it wasn't just the sick and destroying missile. There was a cleverness. There was instincts. Greatness attached to those things. That's why I picked these guys to talk about. They deserve to be talked about. You know what upsets me sometimes? Is that all young fans out there, all people out there that are so important to us, and we all look like you are important to us too. <laughs> 
And I was going to say, Camel's good for sex. No, no, please do not do that to this man. He's important to me. He's been coming close to me. And and don't do that to him because he's sensitive. He's he's got freaking he's got feelings. And so and I was joking. What I'm what I'm saying is that a lot of the our young our young fans. You don't get the information about these fighters. Hopefully, we hope with that. But in baseball, there's more of an outlet for them to know. You know, it's on national TV, it's on free TV, uh, it's not just on cable TV. Uh, and But there's just more information out there about the great baseball players. And this sport been around longer than baseball. Baseball been around a long time. And... There's more information about, you, you could learn about, you know, the great Jackie Robinson and Babe Ruth and Willie Mays and, and Ty Cobb and, you know, uh, Hank Allen, uh, all these guys, uh, Satchel Page. I mean, you can learn about them. There's, there's just a little bit easier access to it. Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Don't forget the Boston. Boston. Oh, maybe the greatest hitter of all time. The last guy to ever hit 400. I mean, unbelievable. And as long as you say this, talk about his character. He loses six years of his career going into the Army, under the Air Force, into the service. Yeah. You know, and, and a great, anything he did, he was great. He was one of the greatest fighter pilots uh, from what I've read about him of all time. A tremendous, unbelievable fighter pilot. Uh, he was, he's, from what I understand, he might have been the, the greatest flag fisherman, or one of the great, I mean, I'll go from baseball to flag fisherman and, and flying jets, mm-hmm. but a great flag fisherman. Anything he did, he was great. And maybe the greatest eye of all time. I mean, he influenced, from what I read about him, he influenced, this is greatness, he influenced umpires that if he didn't swing at a pitch, they, they said, but it must not be a strike. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty heavy right there. And because his eye was so good, he knew if it was a quarter of an inch off. Now, I don't know if this next part is true, if it's something that was embellished. You don't know about legendary stuff. You just know that it, you think it's possible because of his greatness. Mm. As extraordinary as what I'm about to say, that he used to be able to see the spinning of the threads from a pitch coming out. Can you imagine a pitch coming 90 to 100 miles an hour coming? And he could see the rotation of the threads, and that would tell him whether it was a curveball or a straight fastball. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's—I don't know. I don't know where we are. That if we're out in, you know, Bonkersville with that one, I don't know. But I know that we could only talk about it with somebody as great as Ted Williams. Yeah. We we couldn't talk about it if I was in a batting cage. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't be talking about that. So, yeah. Aaron Pryor, these fighters, there's not, you know about, there's available information about the baseball players. There's available information about the NFL players. There's available information about the hockey players. There's available information about the tennis players. There's available information even about the golfers. But not enough about our sport. And it bothers me sometimes. It hurts me that these fighters are not appreciated for the greatness of of what they were, of what they did in their careers, and of what they stood for. 
the hope that they gave people during their careers, the hope that Joe Louis brought to people during his career, especially to black families during a difficult time in this country, how important Joe was. So it's important we talk about these guys and we put it out there. So you have you have the Rand and you have Pryor. Pryor, again, he beat Cervantes, tremendous fighter for the title. Just like the Rand beat the great Buchanan for the title. And Pryor was a guy very instinctual, very determined. This fight, as I said at the top, two guys go up the hill with great will, great talent, and one gets left there. Who's going to be left there? Who's going to be left there? Uh, I will say that it's will and skill, high levels of it. Duran's both aggressive, both guys that have good IQs in there, even though some of that gets lost because they're so aggressive. Again, when they're so aggressive, you start sometimes to diminish in your mind or in your appreciation. It's hard to appreciate how smart they are mm. because you just see them go forward. You're thinking, well, they're just tough. No, they're not even close to just. There's nothing just in them. It's way beyond just. They're a combination. They're a full package of things that make them so great. I will say that Duran's skills are a little bit more hold, a little bit more sophisticated. I'm going to say that both of them are very good body punches. Duran may be a little bit more consistent there, which would have been important during this fight. I would say that the jab would be very important because to get to each other, you have to, you have, to have that stick to get to them. Mm -hmm. And during those moments where the fight's on even terms, that jab might be the separating part of the fight while the inside stuff is close. That might separate the fight for the judges. I'm going to say that when it came to will and skill, the skill level a little more sophisticated, a little more advanced on Durant's side. But, and this, I don't say it easily, but the will, as great a will as, as both guys had, and as great a will as the hands of stone Roberto Durant had, I'm going to say that Aaron Pryor's will at his peak, at the epics of his career, the pinnacle of his, the, the, when he was at the best of his career, I'm going to say Aaron Pryor's will was a little better than the great Durant's. Wow! Interesting. Maybe a touch. Maybe a touch. But the skill level, the little bit of an advantage of the skill level attached to a great will would give Durant just the advantage, just the edge. Remember, Aaron Pryor, a lot of people are going to say they're going to point at specific fights. You got, I looked at it, you have a lot of specific fights that Durant beat great fighters. Now, Aaron Pryor beat the great Alexis O'Grail, so some people are going to point to that. And I'm going to say, yeah, but Alexis O'Grail, and this is going to hurt some people, he was great, but he wasn't Durant. First of all, he was a smaller man moving up in weight class. And second of all, he was easier to hit 
than Duran. He was more stationary. He didn't have as many dimensions there. He was, his, his head movement wasn't there. And you could find him, and Pryor found him, more than he would find Duran. At the end of the day, a great one. You yeah, one where your figures, you can't use them. If you're doing copy box numbers, you can't use them. can't use them for at least a week. And in a, in one for the ages, Duran wins a split decision. Interesting. I don't know what that. Thank you. <laughs> because it's always important for me to get your, you know, just, just your, Approval on things and an agreement on things. Thank you. Glad I can help. Well, you know, we help just being here. All right, let's get to the third in our, uh, the third of the four we're going to discuss today, and that's uh, the great, marvelous Marvin Hagler against an undefeated Roy Jones. The great, marvelous Marvin Hagler, he was one of the greatest middleweights, if not. Well, one of the greatest middleweights. There was a lot of great middleweights. One of the greatest middleweights of all time, okay? That's that's big enough. That's big enough for me to say that, right? I'm going to put a bow on it. Maybe the greatest softball of all time, okay? That's pretty good. You're going to get two of those statements, uh, two of those, <clears throat> you know, that, that kind of, uh, that kind of feeling and endorsement and, and labeling of one of the greatest middleweights of all time and maybe the greatest softball of all time. So I look to do it all. He represented everything. Toughness, uh, relentlessness, you know, determination, physicality, ability. Uh, he could make adjustments. He could go catch you. He could be the secret destroyer so that I talk about I used to always talk about on ESPN when I was calling those little fights. But he he could also do other things. He could change, he could adapt, he could counter, he could box, he could do whatever called for to make that adjustment in midstream. You know, he wasn't left like some of these guys uh, in canoes with no paddle, mm -hmm. stuck up the river. He, 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 he'd find the battle if, if the stream changed. You know, the comment went a different way. He, he figured it out. He um, he was really, really great. So you got that. But I just described going into there with one of the most athletic, gifted middleweights of all time. Uh, fighters of all time because Roy fought different weight classes, but all the way up to everywhere. I was there when he beat um, Johnny... Um Ruiz. Johnny Ruiz uh, in Vegas. I was at that fight. Johnny Ruiz. Because, because he's from Boston. And from Somerville. Yeah. Same, same, same place I went to high school. And uh, Arvin Hagler from Brockton, just outside of Boston. Goody Petronella's gym. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen. Uh, tremendous. I mean, talking about Brockton, there was another guy, not too bad, not too shabby. A guy, like, I think his name was Rocky Marciano. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know what was in the water over there, yeah. but to make these guys that special, that tough, and that and and that good, you know, Marciano, for another day of discussion, but doesn't get enough credit for how can a guy who's the only undefeated heavyweight champion to retire undefeated not get enough credit? But he don't. Mm -hmm. Comes from a different era. 
Uh, but he doesn't get enough credit. They just talk about how tough he was, what a great shit, and all of that's true, and what a great puncher, all of that's true. And his suit is cute, <laughs> you know, that, that looping right hand, mm -hmm. all of that, so he didn't care where he hit you with it. Um, all of that. But what's not appreciated and spoken about and noticed is his IQ. Mm -hmm. uh, he did little things to weave, to get away from punches, to avoid punches, to get low. Uh, he was losing to Jersey Joe Walcott, great fighter, great puncher, a pioneer in this business. How he stole stuff from him or took stuff from him, nothing wrong with it. That's what you do. You learn from the guys before you, where Jersey Joe would walk off one way, walk off the other way, and then set you up, you know, and use his legs that way. Uh, Jersey Joe was winning the fight against Marciano for Marciano's first title uh, shot. And it's the 13th round, and Jersey Joe can't lose except by knockout. Mm -hmm. And Marciano's already hit him good shots, and, you know, how's he going to knock this guy out? And I know Jersey Joe's older, but some guys at that age, that's when they were at their best. He was at his best. Uh, I don't care. He was, uh, he was at his best. And, and people are different. Everyone's different genetically, mentally, you know, emotionally. He was a special guy, Jersey Joe. And so was Marciano. And Marciano's fighting him. He's losing going into the 13th round. He's got to knock him out to win. It's not a lucky punch. It's not a Hail Mary that you just throw up. It's not lucky. It's... It's because of a genius. What does he do? That picture is on the wall in a lot of bars and a lot of great pubs all over the country, all over the world. You go and you see that picture of Marciano landing a right hand on the great Jersey Jones chip. That picture is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Rob's going to find that picture for us. I know it. <laughs> no, because he's like Jersey Joe. He's over there painting feverish. I, 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 I know. <laughs> I understand. But his pride, and he's, he's going to stay up to what I say he is and live up to that. And what I'm saying is that you see that picture all over, but what you don't realize is how the right hand got. And he didn't just throw it. If, if you watch that picture, Jersey Joe's starting to throw right hand. Why is he starting to throw right hand? Look at that. Look at that. He got it. I knew he would get that. And Jersey Joe is starting to throw his right hand, but he gets beat with it. And there's other pictures too. I don't know if this is the exact one, but it, but it's good. It's it's a tremendous one. He gets beat with it. Look at the swollen eye here. You know it's the 13th round. You know he's been in a tough fight. Mm -hmm. You know he's behind. Not that that always tells you, but he's behind. And he's got to land this right hand. And he does. And this guy's throwing right hand, Jersey Joe. So what happened was he started to move his left, like he was going to throw his left. So Jersey Joe looked to time the right hand over. Bow! He switched to the right hand instead. He started the left, got Jersey Joe's eyes over here, got the right hand to start covering. So in his mind, I'm going to beat Marciano with the right hand before he throws that left. The left never got thrown. Mm -hmm. The right hand came instead. Caught him by surprise, caught him on the chin, knocked him out, took his title away. Greatness. Greatness. All these fighters were talking about. That's why I wish that the young... Fans understood more about these guys. And that's what we try to do in our little way. So, with this fight, with the great Marvin Hagler and Roy Jones, you had everything that I said about Hagler 
and you had Roy Jones, one of the greatest combinations ever of speed and power together. Speed and power, great athleticism, great ability, tremendous. And he would have fought him at the time when he was undefeated. Mm -hmm. Great confidence, great belief, everything. And he was one of the few guys to show how tremendous Roy Jones was during his period, during his time, during that period, because it left about a certain point. At a certain point, Bobo was gone. Once it was gone, it was gone. He got knocked out, I think, Antonio Tarver, and then he got knocked out immediately after. Again, I think to Antonio Tarver again, but it just seemed like once he got knocked out the first time. Johnson. Uh, um, Glenn, uh, Glenn Johnson, the Road Warrior. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think he knocked him off first, and then Antonio got him. Yeah, and listen, they took advantage of some of his technical flaws, and that's part of what my breakdown of this fight is and my handicapping of this fight is, is that you're talking about all the physical attributes, all the talent, all the, you know, things that I just laid out with both guys, but where there was a flaw, but also a strength. What do you mean, Ted, a flaw and a strength? Where there was a flaw with a shortcoming with Jones was technically he wasn't as solid as Hager, but during his prime, during his best years, he didn't depend on technique, he depended on instincts. He depended on timing, reflexes that were better than other people. He was one of those rare fighters that could make long right, like Ali. Nobody's like Ali, so I'm gonna be real careful with this. But he was, close to it in, for a short period of time, Jones, where he could make wrong right. He could pull away and get away with it. He could drop his hands and get away with it. He, he could do things that the textbook of boxing tells you not to do. He could divert from good technique and still get the job done because of the greatness of the qualities that I just described that he had. He was able to get away with things. Make one away. Mm -hmm. Not too many guys could do that. Yeah. You know? And there's there's some kind of golf out there, Fury, who has the most screwed up swing. It's like a corkscrew swing. Mm -hmm. It's not a Tiger Woods or a Jack Nicholas swing. It's not beautiful, smooth, you know, it goes like that. And uh it goes like you know, like I don't know what, but it works for him. Mm -hmm. The ball goes where he wants it to go. This worked for Jones. He was able to do this. He was able to do things that other people try to do and they get knocked out. But there was a period when it ended. There was a period when the fighters you just mentioned, Glenn Johnson. He lost to Antonio. Antonio. Antonio Topper by TKO. And you, if you remember, he had some. Excuse, he was making some excuses after the fight in the rematch against Antonio Tarver. He said, "You got any?" When they were giving him the instructions, he said, "You got any excuses tonight, Roy?" But after he lost that TKO to Tarver, he then got knocked out badly against Glenn Johnson four months later in 2004. Then he fought Tarver again, lost again, so three in a row. And before he fought the uh, Antonio Tarver, it was when he moved up for one fight at heavyweight and beat Johnny Ruiz and won the WBA. Now, if you want to make some excuses, we don't like to do that, but we want to be fair, put everything out there that other people might not put out there. Mm -hmm. Might not 
be able to put out there. Some people would say that it was moving up to heavyweight and then coming back down after that fight with Ruiz. He was never quite the same. Mm -hmm. you know, with the I would agree with that. Okay, fair, fair. But you could also say that he fought a better level fighter and it caught up to him. Yeah. You could say that too. You could say that, or you could say that he was past his best days where a guy who depends on reflexes and timing and speed. And, and he depended on that heavily. Heavily. A guy that depended on those things that when they get a little older, they, they, they go out the window. They, 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 they leave you. And, and you could say that he was on that downward tip of his career a little bit where those things were starting to leave and these guys caught him at the right time. Or you could say that they exposed him. That they exposed the guy who wasn't, and I'm not saying that was it, mm. but I'm saying I'm giving you every possible scenario yeah. that they exposed him. That these guys at a high level, real steady, professional, good, solid fighters that weren't afraid, weren't intimidated by his speed. That's the key, they weren't afraid. They weren't afraid to let the punch go when the moment was there. Uh, which is what you have to do with a guy like that. If you hesitate a little bit, you're lost. And they were professional enough to expose him for his lack of technique, for the windows that that lack of technique would leave open, mm -hmm. for things to come in, mm -hmm. things like right hands to come in. So you could say any of those, but I'm saying he was terrific. Roy Jones was a great combination of power and speed during that period of time. That, you know, one of the things that separates him from a Tony, and he beat Tony. Mm -hmm. Some people say Tony was dead at the weight when he beat him. But look, all we can say is he beat Tony. But Tony probably had a longer career at a level of success towards the back end of his career more than Roy did. And the reason for it was Tony was not as good athletically uh, talented in the areas we just described, but he was better technically. He was better technically. So that better technique carried Tony towards the back end of his career where it exposed Roy at the back end of his career. Yep. So putting this all together, we're not at the back end. We're at the prime of their careers. Both guys, marvelous Marvin Hagler, tremendous Roy Jones, the Boltonet, the, the speed, the power, Great combination of these things, like a Pacquiao uh, at a heavier weight. Pacquiao, great combination of speed and power. Roy Jones, great combination of speed and power, instincts, everything. And it would be, it would be very interesting. And you're watching this. And Marvin Hagler, he ain't no, you know what? He's no chopped liver when it comes to talent either. So he's got, and so he's in there, maybe the talent, the speed, obviously in, in favor of Roy Jones, no doubt about it in my mind. The quickness with legs, everything that he could use early on, something to figure out, something to overcome for the great Marvis and Hagler, something to really deal with that's difficult, that's dangerous. Marvin Hagler dealt with things that were difficult and dangerous his whole career. And now the fight, it's gone. And a little bit, maybe a little bit reminiscent of a flashback of Marvin Hagler in there with great, the great hitman, Tommy Hearns, when 
When Ernst pulled back and got caught, got caught with the right hook of, of Hagler, uh, I'm going to say that it's a really, it's an interesting fight. The speed, the, the unorthodox approach of Jones with his hands not moving, uh, looking to get angles, looking to keep Marvin Hagler off stride is going to be something to deal with for Hagler. But at the end of the day, Hagler's combination of everything that I described and better technique and the ability to think calm in uncalm waters, he catches Roy pulling back. Kind of like Henry Cooper caught Muhammad Ali pulling back. But then he had the great Angelo Dundee to save him in the corner where all of a sudden there was a cut in the club and Ali got a little extra time to recover before he had to go back out there and face Henry Cooper. Henry Cooper had a great left hook. Then Ali cut him up uh, and, and stopped him. I'm going to say that there's a moment, same way as there was a moment where Ali pulled back, kind of like Roy Jones, you know. Ali was the, one of the guys that invented that. Probably did invent it, doing everything wrong, but he made it right. Ali pulled back and then got clipped with that left hook by Joe Frazier, but had the constitution to get up in the 15th round in that fight of deception. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that Hagler catches, not a left hook, but it's a right hook from the southpaw position. Catches Roy Jones, the athletic, tremendous Roy Jones, tremendous. Catches and pull him back. Somewhere around the seventh, eighth round, and stops Roy Jones. Interesting. Uh, that's quite the um, convincing closing argument. Like, uh, argument. I can see you've been taking lessons from the great uh, Staten Island attorney Nicole Atlas. Jim coaching you? Yes. <laughs> That's a good yes. closing argument. I can see that. I can live with that result. I'm sure the fans will have uh, no shortage of opinions on that one. Let's get to the last one here. We've got um, the Manessa Mala, Jack, Jack Dempsey versus Joe Frazier. Wow. Wow. Uh, maybe the most interesting all First of all, anyway, Anytime you go to heavyweights, it peaks, you know, people, it peaks their attention, maybe a little extra in this business. And you want to see the, you want to see the big fellas come out. Now, first thing I'm going to say, just two explosive guys, two guys that are great punches, tremendous offensive fighters, uh, tremendous artillery. I mean, wow, wow. And tremendous wills, attitudes, determination, a way of overcoming. I mean, Jack Dempsey was a hobo. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Jack Dempsey, back in those days, he was he was basically like a, living in the streets, he was like a homeless guy. He was, yeah, Jack Dempsey, you, you put your glasses on to, to check out your man here, to make sure that he's right. But... Uh, he lived in Manassa, Manassa. Oh, he's in Manassa, but, but he was a guy that, he was living in hobo parks. He was a guy that, uh, you know, I'm not saying he had to early in his career, but uh, circumstance, whatever. But 
he was a guy that he would he'd carry his clothes on a pole and he would ride the rails, which you could die. See, there was the, the rebel trains would take you from town to town back in those days. We didn't have all the things back then that you have today of the travel. Obviously, with planes going all over the place and, and the availability of such things. So you take a train. So Dempsey, Dempsey came from a tough place. Uh, look at this. Grew up poor family in Colorado. Colorado, West Virginia. Um, he frequently traveled underneath trains and slept in hobo camps. Uh, you didn't think I was skating wrong, did you, for a second? I know you put your glasses on when I, when, when I said that. It got your attention. Don't point, don't keep pointing out the glasses. They're already giving me shit about no, no, 60 it's, years old. You're <laughs> not 60. You're, you're like in your 30s or something. <laughs> and then, and glasses are just a distinguished look for you. You don't even need the doctor. They're not prescription. They're just for looks. I mean, just for looks. I, mean, I hope not. I hope you're not one of them. <laughs> because then, then we have a problem. All right? Then you yeah. can't be one. I know that. That's why you, you can be my partner. But, you, you immediately said, I know you trust me, you do, but you immediately said, let me, he's, I'm, I'm hearing something that I didn't think I'd hear today. Mm -hmm. Let me, let me check this. Mm -hmm. And our man Rob, you know, just to make sure that we're right on this, backs us up immediately. As you can see, there's all the things I'm talking about. He would, occasionally, he would occasionally visit salon, visit salon, saloons, bars, and challenge, uh, challenge people for fight, to fight for money. I can't sing and I can't dance, but I can lick any SOB in the house. <laughs> Sounds like the great John L. Sullivan, the, the last bad-fisted knuckle champion. If you go back a little bit, that's where we learned that from. Because before him was John L. Sullivan, the legendary, like a Babe Ruth type figure, you know. Uh, he, I mean, you know, he's a guy, he, he's a guy that, that is one of those people in history. You know, like an Ali, like those kind from but from his time, John L. Sullivan, benefits of boxing was was a thing in this country and he was the champ. He was the, he was the last of the benefits of knuckle champs and he used to say that. He used to go into a salon and say, I can lick any he didn't say I can't sing a dance. Maybe Dempsey added that in there, but he would say, I can lick any SOB in the in the house and then he'd get a chance to do it too back in those days. So then she took that problem from the great John L. Sullivan, but to the point, he was a poor guy, like a lot of our great fighters. This was his way of getting out of where he was, lifting himself to a better place, being a fighter. And so he was a guy before it was fashionable, and I wish he was never fashionable, to be honest, to say this, but to say that there were homeless people out there. I wish that there weren't that. But, um, he was, he was one of them. He, he was, as we just said, as we just documented, uh, he was living in hobo camps. He was, he would travel on the rails, which was a very dangerous practice. What that meant was that he would hide. He didn't have the money. So he would get underneath the rail of the train. Just think of this guy. A train that's going hundreds of miles, by the way, across the country. He would get underneath the rail, hold onto the rail. Now, if you let go a little bit, you're dead mm -hmm. because the track hits you while you're going whatever miles an hour that you're going. And if you fall asleep, just think about that. The, the, the guy hadn't slept all night. And he's holding on, you better not fall asleep. <laughs> and he would hold on to that rail to get to the next town. And then when he got to the next town, he'd look for a place that had a club fight going on 
to maybe fifty dollars, and he would fight, get his money, and then be able to get a room for the night and food, and then go on to the next. So you you talk about a tough guy and a hard guy. No more so than Joe Frazier during his time. Joe Frazier came from, you know, everyone says Philadelphia. And I think there should be a statue of Joe Frazier, not just of Rocky Balboa, but of Joe Frazier, smoking Joe Frazier in Philly. I think it's wrong. Somebody out there listen. I know more and more people are hearing the show and being touched by it, from what I'm told. And hopefully influenced in a good way. I hope. I would hope that somebody there in the council member, somebody in Philadelphia would put up, and I heard that there was talk about it, but I'd like it to actually be done, see Joe Frazier's statue, not just the Rocky Balboa statue. I know Rocky movies were important, I, I, and I mean that, seriously. But Joe Frazier was real. Mm-hmm. He should have a statue up. But he wasn't born in Philly. He was from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he was a sharecropper. He was, he was out, he was out, I mean, he worked his backside off. He was, he was out there basically, you know, plowing the fields. I mean, I mean, just in, in hundred degree weather, uh, you know, pulling those crops out of the ground. I mean, he, he had a hard existence. He, this was his way. Boxing was, was a man to man. They do have this. Got some time down in Joe Fish. Oh, so they finally did it. I'm so happy. I'm so glad. Look at that left hook. Look at that. There it is. The great Joe Frazier. Smoking Joe Frazier. April 2018. Yeah. So it just got done. It just got done last, well, last year. Yeah. And um, I knew that they were working on doing it. So I take that back, Councilman. Good job. What took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> what took you so long, guys? But you got it done. That's what matters. And we're checking you. And continue to get good things done. Because we're going to check you here. And... So you, you had both guys coming from distressed places, okay? Tough places, hard places, and this is their way out. So you got that in the background of everything. You got two tremendous offensive fighters, explosive punches. What, what a showdown this would be. Maybe the best of all the ones I put together. This would be unbelievable. I mean, it would be like, watching the solar eclipse uh, happen, where these, all of a sudden, you're wondering if the light just could go out with these two great, shining meteors of talent, of, of aggression, of, of ability, of offensive prowess, you know, hydrogen bombs ready to go off. Jack Dempsey was one of the greatest finishers. Joe Frazier was a good finisher, but Jack Dempsey was one of the greatest finishers. Joe Frazier, both of them, also in context here, how they can handle pressure too. Joe Frazier was involved in maybe the biggest, one of the biggest fights of all time, one of the biggest fights, the original fight of the century. And that's just where it against, both undefeated against Ali as he came back uh, from, you know, being being away from the sport for three and a half years, being forced into exile because of his refusal to go to Vietnam. Uh, so you got Frazier who handles that kind of stage, and then you got Jack Dempsey who, back in the day, we're talking about when he fought, 
was the biggest sport, was the biggest sport in the country. It was bigger than baseball. I mean, Babe Ruth was a king. Jack Dempsey was a king. They were both kings. I mean, they were known all over the country. So, you have, you have two guys that can handle that pressure, handle that moment. He's to that stage. You have that great ability, that great offensive ability, the great left hook. One of the greatest left hooks ever, the Joe Frazier. Check that, you had unbelievable left hook too. Tremendous left hook. But maybe along the lines of when I did the Tyson Frazier one, and this would have been unbelievable. And I favored Tyson because Tyson could punch with either hand. Frazier was all left hook for the most part. All that talk. Jack Dempsey might have had that little bit of an advantage too, where he had a great left talk. And his might have been a little shorter than Joe's, believe it or not. But Joe's was great. But Dempsey had a great left talk, but he also had a great right hand. So now that maybe gives him a little advantage. But Frazier, the naturally bigger guy, we have to figure that out. And now listen, when you're doing different errors, a lot of people are gonna say, well, you know, the errors from the more one errors, there were bigger guys than the small. How could the small, how could Marciano fit in there with a, you know, a, uh, a Ali, or, or how could he fit in there, you know, with, with some of the bigger guys today? Well, we would even those things out. Because if they were around in the lane, they'd be bigger too. They wouldn't be naturally as big, they'd be the naturally still a little smaller. But they'd be bigger. So we, we proportionally figure that out. We, we even that out. So Dempsey wouldn't be 185 pounds as he was back in those days. He'd be bigger. And Frazier would still be the naturally little bit bigger guy. So Frazier, like he did with Ali, would look to pin Jack into a corner where he could pound a little naturally smaller man's body with that great left hook. Like he, did mm-hmm. he would look to do that. Dempsey would look to use his legs a little bit, being that he was a smaller guy, a uh, guy that could move a little bit quicker than Joe in some ways. He would look to use his legs to box a little bit more. Now, another thing that's fair to point out, Dempsey comes from an era where the technique wasn't given credit for being as sophisticated as something. Although, I don't think that people know enough about it that it was. Mm-hmm. It was. Because you never got sophisticated by fighting 150, 200, 300 times. You learn technique. You learn how to advance and be more sophisticated in those areas. People don't understand. I know we have the advancements in today's era of science and, and nutrition and other training, you know, supplements, uh, things, uh, training procedures, uh, equipment that can help. I understand that. But nothing helps more than experience. Nothing teaches more than experience. Nothing wins better than experience. These guys had the experience to fight the best fighters. Because back in those days there were more clubs, more availability to get experience with more fighters of a higher level. So so one thing evens out the other. So here's the interesting thing for me. From an era where there was less sophistication supposedly with technique in some ways, Dempsey might have been more sophisticated in that area than Joe Frazier from an earlier era, later era. Because Joe Frazier was all brim and all fire and gripstone, mm-hmm. all left hook, baby, bobbing and weaving, you know, but 
but not much beyond that. That's he might have had the availability to do more things, to box a little bit in spots, to have both hands ready, to maybe use that right hand that was great to punch inside one of those left hooks of Joe. Maybe catch Joe. Maybe drop Joe. Drop Joe. You know, not, not, not that I want to, uh, but I love the opportunity. I love Joe Frazier, but I love the opportunity to just maybe once as a commentator to be able, because if anything, you want a chance to do something that was part of history. Mm-hmm. Maybe part of me says that because I love the opportunity just because of what it means in history to say, down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Howard Kosar was great. You could hate him. You could hate him. He was a condescending fool in some ways, maybe, and an egomaniac. Um, and you could say all that, but, but you know what? He was great. Mm-hmm. Howard Kosar was great. He was a pioneer. He was great. And um, that was that was one of the great calls. You know, when, when of course, Frazier got caught or former, the Frazier was heavyweight champion of the world, and he got dropped. Down goes Frazier! But maybe, maybe that moment revisited itself where a straight right hand gets inside one of those hooks. That's it gets inside and catches him. But Frazier gets up. Up gets Frazier! So he gets up. Because I'm a gentleman, you know? You know, and I have it myself. You know, up gets Frazier! And Frazier comes after him. Goes to the body, attacks and gets him on the ropes. Sometimes he has to use his little legs, takes advantage. A lot of times we think about the advantage of the bigger guy. But how about the advantage of the smaller guy being faster? We always talk about the bigger guy being stronger. How about the smaller guy being faster, quicker? So he's quicker, he's got to use that quickness. And he's got to adapt. And maybe, you know, use some of his versatility that, that Frazier, the left hooker, doesn't have. And he, he finds a way to use that. So it's back and forth, back and forth, that battle with those things, with everything I just laid out. And in the end, with the great Jack Dempsey, with the great left hook and a great right hand, and, and explosive ability, and ability to be a little smaller and move a little bit, with the great Joe Frazier, with the great left hook, and the ability to stop some of that movement with the left hook to the liver, the left hook to the body, the double left hook. Back and forth, and it ends. A draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I see it. A draw, a draw with these two great heavyweights and great pioneers in their own way, because of what they stood for, because of what stages they walked on in the history of boxing. Big stages. Well, you make a very compelling case, and I'm sure that's going to spur a lot of debate. And we look forward to uh, hearing about the debate and reading the comments in the uh, comments section. So, don't be shy. <laughs> Not that you guys ever are, but uh, let us. But be you. kind. But be kind. We can always be kind, especially right. to my friend. <laughs> I gotta say, the fans of the sport are great. Every time I go to the fights, people are completely supportive, super kind, super generous, and nice. Appreciate all the support. Please keep uh, keep subscribing, listening, commenting. Uh, appreciate everything, Teddy. Thanks for doing this. That was really fun. And thanks for being with us. Thank you.